I am Sam and this is Diaspora Files. I'm Tenna. And I'm Yosola. And this is Diaspora Files. We're old friends born in London to Nigerian parents who moved over to the UK in the late 80s. Our podcast is a continuation of the many conversations we've had about home and belonging growing up in Britain. We'll be speaking to people we've met who share a complex sense of home. Along the way, we discuss the stuff that binds people together, as well as the experiences that make us different. It came as a massive surprise to us to find out that by day, Sam works in politics, but by night, he moonlights as a hardcore heavy-slash-death metal musician, screaming his way through the dark corners of Britain's pubs. Born to an Indian mother and an English father, Sam grew up in Sutton, in a community where he was confronted with the invisibility of his difference. In this episode, we reminisce about the simple things that make us feel at home, such as eating with our hands or family celebrations. Beyond this, we look at the harder side of building a home for ourselves, exploring the role of gentrification and what it means to build community. Such a good question. That's a really good starting question, guys. 10 out of 10. Thanks, um, G. <laughs> podcast game on fleek. <laughs> um, okay, where am I from? So, yeah, I think... So that taps into kind of quite broad questions of identity. But this, like this, obviously the simple answer is, you know, I grew up in like kind of suburb, like very, very suburban, uh, greater London. Um, Whereabouts? Uh, kind of like just on the border of South London, sorry, near this place called Sutton. Don't know if you know it. Yeah, you know. I know Sutton. a train that goes there. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is all Sutton <laughs> has offered the world so far. Um, it's <laughs> transport link. Whoa. Yeah. Um, that, that is, obviously that's where I'm from geographically. In terms of my identity, I would say, I would say I'm like, I would say I'm British Asian um, because I have uh, an Indian mum and a white father, um, but I, I I hold on closer to the British Asian label than I do like necessarily the kind of I don't know because it depends. I like I switch around. Sometimes I think I'm kind of like when I say where like where am I from? I'm like, well, I'm a, a person of mixed race living in Britain, and I like I am so, like this stuff that's so British about me that I can't. I can't be like, ooh, I'm, you know, I can't be like, because there's a lot of really cool people who are like, well, I'm not really from anywhere. And I'm kind mm. of like, no, I'm so, so <laughs> of and from here. Mm. But I'm also massively, kind of, um, massively impacted by my Indianness and by my kind of, by the Indian influences. So, yeah. But also, also like, I'm as much from, from these places. Uh, like you know, from Indianness and from Britishness, as I am from like Londonness, Southern Englandness, like um, maleness as well. Like figures in like an enormous amount in like how I've had to navigate my identity and you know, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's tangential, but in my, in my mind, for some reason, I feel like actually, if you're trying to define where you are, like who you are and where you're from, it's kind of it's all of all of those things like linked together. I feel like I can't. It's like it's kind of like intersectionality, isn't it? It's like I can't, in a way, I can't separate um, who I am in terms of like my ethnic, racial, cultural background from 
the fact that the fact that I kind of like <clears throat> have had to kind of challenge a lot of what I thought like being a man was and all these sort of things and do you think do you think it's important to know in all these senses where you come from and to be able to have these markers to identify yourself like does that help you know yeah I feel I feel like because in the, in the last like six months to a year in particular I've really been on like a kind of not to compare myself, but like a really embarrassingly sentimentalized dreams from my father esque like journey of like <laughs> what like what am I and where do I come from and what's my what's my thing and like what's and I'm really trying to be kind of like trying to reclaim my Indianness and my like coloredness mm-hmm. because for like a really long time there were just people who'd like would either not acknowledge it or kind of like actively work hard to dismiss it. And like, or when I kind of, so what, so initially what people would do, like until I was about kind of 14, 15, they, they would just assume I was white and treat me, treat me as such and not kind of indulge any kind of other identity. And when I started to be like, hold on, I don't really spend any time with my white family, like my white family, my British family. I don't spend any time with those people. In fact, most of them I'm not even in any, any contact with. The only people I see when I go home for family occasions are like, the, are brown people and the white people that are married to the brown people those are the like those are the only like that's that's who I see so I'm you know and so I kind of started to kind of assert my identity a bit and be like oh hey I'm you know I'm Indian here's like the food that I like and these I watch these films and this is the thing and everyone was and so that left the door open for like people to at least in my school like really give me a kick in for that a big thing so we've spoken about mixedness um and you also spoke about passing so this idea in which like your identity was brought to a crisis because people wouldn't believe you were what you said you were yeah, yeah, definitely. you are what you say you are yeah. because they can't see it yes and like what was your first experience of being different yeah. like how was that how did you first experience that yeah that's a um, that's a really interesting question i think a huge amount of it actually was of my own doing rather than necessarily like things would happen by accident I think actually there was a point during my teenage years where I was like well I'm Indian and that's cool and I'm gonna cel- I'm gonna kind of celebrate it in a bit more of a like not in a bullshit but a bit of an adolescent kind of bullshit way of like hey I'm Indian believe me hey you know when yeah when you're a teenager like the governing thing is like what's my identity mm. what's me what's like what's rooting me what's my thing and what's what's gonna make me different and what's gonna make me kind of whatever. And it felt really cool to suddenly wake up at about the, during your teenage because you go like when I was a kid, I was doing seriously Indian things. When my when both my grandparents were still around, we were doing ridiculously Indian <laughs> things like all the time. Like they would dress us up in proper little salwar kameez. But I didn't kind of uh, even after they passed away in kind of my like early teens. Like it was only after that when I was like. I don't know why they're not kind of um, engaged it. with this or claimed it because it was always there and I was never like oh this is stupid I was always like this is cool this is fine like I, I really like the food and like it's fine it's whatever um, yeah it was actively claiming it which then because my school had this really interesting thing of like it was a boys school and like it was uh, you know properly ethnically mixed but only in the way that a selective grammar is ethnically mixed. So there was like a huge amount of Asians and a huge amount of white people and then like two black guys in the year. And it was just like really depressing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It was like still, even that, that thing of like, look, there's, there's a huge amount of people who aren't white, mm. you know, that still influences the tone. 
But, like, I don't know why, but they were, like, kids in my school, when, when we would hang out, God, the jokes that they would make were so violently racist. People would turn blue at some of the shit I did have to call people out on. Like, I, I remember vividly having to tell a guy in my year that, like, it's probably not his place to use the word packy. Like, that's probably not... Like, I don't like that. There were just... There was a small, small group of kids in my year who I'd say just did not understand the different power dynamics. And now, I'm sure, if you talk to them, they'd be, they would never say things like that, never even think things like that. But at the time... And actually, yeah, again, if we had, like, a general studies class, they'd be like, no, you can't be racist. Don't be racist ever. And there were, like, there were, like, two kids in the year who were, like, into the BMP who were actually racist. But, like... <laughs> everyone, everyone, like, absolutely demolished those yeah. two kids, though. Like, everyone went after them so hard, like, oh, BMP, twat, oh, you'd, like... You're shit, you're racist, you're a racist, you're a racist. And everyone would gang up on them, like, really publicly. And, yeah, they would say these things to me. So it's like, I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist. It's like... So... The, like this is just like the broader point about like everyone who is in some even in some ways a minority has to bear a certain violence or kind of out like outsiderness for mm-hmm. it. Mine was that all these guys channeling their feelings of whatever like uh, lack of identity or the way Britain's changing or their parents or whatever mm-hmm. at me. I think that's like a really weird and interesting consequence in my mind of like. The fact that like Britain has accepted that racism is bad while also kind of forcing racism into just a different and thing. And never actually dealing And not with really it. dealing with the underlying causes. Um, it's like you can't just stop using the word you can't just stop calling people a packy and then racism's over. Like it definitely is not. <laughs> like yeah, it's definitely really and, so, and so like if you feel like feel felt, I don't know, felt yeah, like a jack of all trades, master of none. Where do you... Well, I did... That's the thing. I, I was like, I know what I am. It's fine. Like, I, well, I always... I, because the thing is, even then, I was like, well, I'm kind of this and I'm kind of that. I didn't feel any neurosis. It was like from them that the confusion came. They were confused. I was never mm, confused, I don't feel like. I feel like sometimes I'm this and sometimes I'm that. And like, okay. I, don't really know, I don't really know what I am. But like, as I went on, I was like, okay, well, I can just explore this and that's fine. And I'm like, I'm not particularly kind of worrying person anyway. So it's not something that I was like, what is this? What is my identity? What am I? What is this kind of thing? It was just, I feel like it was born of a virulent reaction of something that people didn't understand. Like any any kind of, anything mean that they may have said or any time they may have stepped over the line was because they didn't understand what was happening and they didn't understand how to, how to process me outwardly expressing and sometimes in a bit of a bullshit way expressing my identity my identity as a minority and as a person of, a person of colour. So I spent so many years being like I can't say that, I can't say that, I talk like this and I, whatever, I sound like this and I come from here and I'm from the suburbs, I can't call myself a person of colour, but it's like, no, I am a person of colour, that is what I am, I am a person of colour, I may not be able to like, you know, I may not necessarily feel it my place to like, join Operation Black Vote and be like, yes, let's, you know, whatever, (laughs) because I don't want to tread on the shoes of people who actually have like, like, kind of what I feel as maybe incorrectly, more real racial grievances than I do. But it took me a really long time to be like, no, I am a person of colour, even if people have like acted like I'm not, and even if people treat me like I'm not. Where do you then feel most at home, or where do you then call home? Where do I then call home? Yeah, i tell you what it is. I feel the most at home and kind of centred in my identity when we have our, I was, ah, this is such good timing. 
my because my mum just sent out the invite this year. We're like, when every year we get together and have a Diwali meal, our family, and like. Yeah, a lot of families, when they do Diwali, they do really proper, like, lots of really Indian stuff, and they're like, you know, get the candles out and all this sort of thing. And we do do bits and bobs of that, but the only th- the only criteria for our Diwali meal is there has to be Gujarati food, and that's basically it. And we all have to, we all have to come. That's, like, the only kind of properly Indian thing, apart from having all the Indian people there. That's the only real kind of marker that we do. We don't necessarily... And mum has started to... I think... I don't know if it's, I don't think it's because of me, but Mum has started to kind of really be like, okay, she's kind of started trying to bed down her Indianness mm. a lot as well, and she'll put garlands, she'll put the pictures up of your relatives and put garlands around them, but she's doing little bits and bobs to make it more Indian, and she knows that I really care about Diwali as well, and so it's like, yeah, but at Diwali, my girlfriend is is as like so white British, it's not even true, but like she's also like so loves our culture and she's so respectful and so into it but she's always at Diwali and I love having her there and my mum's husband is white and he's there and my uncle's wife is white and she's there and so there's this mix of people but we're all there and we're all eating Indian food we're all eating Gujarati food specifically Gujarati food and it's like that is when I'm like okay this is that's that's I yeah am. that's when I feel most centered in my kind of ethnic identity I'm like okay everything Everything that kind of composes, composes my ness, my meanness, is in this room. Like all the Indianness is represented, but the complex Indianness, not just the kind of brute force like Indian Indianness. It's like what my mum's Indianness is, as well as what my girlfriend or my stepdad's whiteness are. I mean, the the harshest edges of my mum's Indianness is soft, is sanded down, as well as that I feel what I feel to be the harshest edges of like white Britishness is sanded down of the white British people who are there so that's why I'm like yes and it's like so like the same mixedness and like the love is there yeah and that's where you feel most at home yes that is where I think that's the most beautiful answer I've ever heard of someone like describing what home home is (laughs) because the thing is also like Last Diwali, we also had like a big fight. <laughs> I don't want to like. I don't want to like. Not like the I, de- of I definitely don't want to like portray Diwali as this like mythical kind of greeting <laughs> card. Keeping it real. People, like people, that. like people will come to Diwali. Like my, both my cousins came to the last Diwali, unbelievably hungover. Like I'm not making making out like this is like some kind of precious like thing where everyone's lovely to each other. I don't know. Like it's just like. It's just like real though, it's like real family. It's like, and it's the point that we're all there. And actually, more often than not, it is really nice as well, actually. Like, as much, you know, it is often really nice and really cool. I'm Yosola. And I'm Tella. And this is Diaspora Files. Up next, we chat to Sam about gentrification in Brixton and why the political left should not be so quick to dismiss hostility to migration as simply inherent racism. Even though we are a wandering podcast in the wilderness and that podcasting Babylon, as it were, we find ourselves rooted in a place called Brixton right now. Yeah. It's an interesting place, mm. um, given that, like, I hear Foxton's 
the estate agents mm. recently moved in here. It yeah. was attacked, and so I've seen I've seen a few of them. I mean, I, I've a not few Foxtons. Oh no, sorry, a few attack like attacks oh, right. on the Foxtons of, of right. like, shapes and sizes oh, wow. and stuff. And I've only lived here like three years, but like my take on this as someone, and you know, the, the pinch of salt with all of this is that I think, in so many ways, like. I am part of gentrification. It's like, how do you reconcile being part of gentrification while also actively hating it and thinking it's what like a really terrible What do you actively hate thing? about it? What I actively hate about it is is not... I don't... I think the thing is, a lot of people spend time getting really pissed off about, like, champagne and fromage or, like, these kind of pretentious shops that will open. And I know why, because they're good campaigning tools and they're good clickbait, but, like... That's not ever been the problem for me. Like a champagne and fromage could open in like could open in Mogadishu, and it's like that's not the problem. <laughs> like the point is like what what the the economic implications of those kind of businesses moving in in terms of rent. It's all just about rent, as far as I'm concerned. Like because rent is at the root of like the social issue. Like communities are being divided because areas become too costly to live in because people move it and you know and that cycle all I like I think all of that cycle eventually comes down to economics which comes down to a lack of, a, of affordable housing provision which is really boring but like it's true it's like if we had more affordable housing then people wouldn't have to then social housing rents wouldn't skyrocket mm-hmm. councils who are already broke wouldn't have to kind of foot the bill and therefore want to get rid of those social housing tenants as soon as they can so they can pay for all other basic services um, rather than, you know, in their mind, for a lot of councils, it's just like, oh, I'm paying 1,400 quid a month in mm-hmm. rent for this for these social housing tenants, and what are we getting from them? Like, we need to, you know, d- put all of our money back into child services or social work. Or, I mean, I'm talking about a good council here. Like, you know, most councils are just like, fuck them. But, like, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it comes down... So, the, what I hate about gentrification is people who have lived in the area for a long time being pushed out for as arbitrary a reason as they can't afford to live here Mm -hmm. and being robbed of somewhere that they have made their own and so so like characteristically their own Brixton is a community so governed by like uh, I mean governed in the sense so kind of shaped by the people who live in it almost and more than so many other places I've been in London Brixton is just mm-hmm. it lives and breathes the people that it's made of and as soon as you take those people away it's not just sad that that culture will be lost although it, that is a huge part it is just deeply and grossly unfair that those people should be forced out because people like me think it's really cool to live here like I love it here I love this place and I just think it's the coolest place to live and wish that everyone could live here but you know I I don't like I don't like the fact that people who made the area what it is are being forced out for as arbitrary a reason of arbitrary a reason as rent why do you love Brixton then here's why I love Brixton one time I went to an inter- went to a job interview and I was uh, uh, like you know I had my suit on and everything and I had these shoes that I just bought and they were like um, kind of light tanned leather with like this kind of snake skinny sort of effect. And they sound a bit gross, but they like, they were, you know, they, I, I liked them. And this dude, <laughs> this dude just came up to me next to a bus stop in Brixton and was like, nice shoes. And then just walked off. And that was all he had to say. He just said, nice shoes. And I was like, thank you. And I got that job. <laughs> and that is the job I'm working now. No, like, because, because that dude told me that I have nice shoes. And like, 
I was just like, where else has that ever happened to me? Someone would just come up and compliment me on my shoes. And like, yeah, when I've done like kind of canvassing and stuff and been into people's houses and talked to people and it's just like, there's people who are like living here in a way that I feel if more people lived like that, then we'd all be just a whole lot happier. And also, you know, the incredible food and the markets and everything and like, you know, the like the fact that just the like electric avenue and all of it, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just like, what, why would you, Sony A's, why would you want to live anywhere else? It's got everything you need and it's got the most like, oh, I hate the word vibrant. It's such an estate agent word. They've taken, <laughs> they've taken the word vibrant from us, but it is vibrant. It's like everyone's here, everyone's living side by side and everyone's literally like butting heads with each other. And that's like, that's the vision of what London is supposed to be, like pepper potted, like everyone next to each other, everyone having to bump, rub shoulders with each other at all times, like, mm. you know, and this place could be like that and it's yeah. getting less and less like that and that's a shame. Yeah, I find that, that sounds very exciting and as someone who lived in North London, they would come to Brixton and to Peckham to like, basically when I had to meet very extended Nigerian family who I rarely saw but who mm. lived around here, yeah. I go to Peckham like a bit more often than Brixton I think and just be like okay this is where I can go buy yam and one can go and buy meat there were it just feels a bit like I'm in Nigeria suddenly when I'm here I had that with tooting actually but anyway yeah and I mean obviously that is in itself a form of ghetto but then now when I go to Peckham like to buy Peckham Y station and I went on a night out one day this place called the Bussy Building. It has a like communitarian ethos and it's like a cultural space and it's an art centre and it, I think it's also a charity. But I know it, it does in itself, it, the institution of the Bussy Building mm. or whatever it's called, the CLF Arts Cafe, believes in community. But I went, we went a night there and cost five floors, Soul Train night, so it's black music, spunk and soul, whatever. And I was, I was used to being one of the only black people at school, mm-hmm. at, at university, I was used to being one of the only black people, but when I'm in Peckham, in mm. this building, why am I one of the only Can black people yeah. around? This is really strange, and there's no one else aware of this, like, yeah. what, what's happening? And. I know, I just, I, I took it quite personally that night in that I was just like, okay, I can deal with it in spaces that I know are mm. traditionally, institutionally white, but like people are coming or like migrating to these areas in my head yeah. and they talk about, you know, migrants coming into the UK and not integrating and not um, assimilating or not making an effort. Yeah. But I'm like, I that's normal human behaviour and we all do it because when I see people going to Peckham, you're Absolutely. not trying Absolutely. to engage. You're just as or, transient. Yeah. yeah. Involve yourself. Mm. You will with like, different. I have a policy of like, trying to treat Brixton as if I'm a guest in it. Because I am a guest in Brixton. People who live there all their, lived here all their life um, and are a, properly a part of this community, they're, letting me, they're kind enough to let me kind of walk around and enjoy Brockwell Park and enjoy all the nice markets and enjoy like, the vibe and the Brixton Splash and whatever else it is. And I feel like my rent is, yeah, is just like, stop being like, oh, it's very vibrant. Ooh. <laughs> I struggle to have as mature an approach in the sense that like I'm I'm not from Brixton. Yeah. And I think my take on it is slightly different. But also I think the side of it that annoys me specifically is like the social capital side of it. Mm. I met one girl when I was travelling who was like very clean and polished, very well dressed, and bearing in mind we're in a hostel and everyone's looking scuzzy as hell. Mm. 
And I was just, I was looking at her, I was like checking this chick out. I thought, let me see what she's saying. I was like, oh, where are you from? She's like, oh, I'm just, um, I'm from London, actually. I was like, oh, I'm a Londoner too, you know, whereabouts are you from? She was like, yeah, I'm from Brixton. I live in Brixton. And I kind of thought, okay, mm. judging from the voice and the appearance. I'm not sure you're and I was like, oh, that, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, how long have you been living there? She's like, oh, I just moved there in the last, in the last year. I said, where did you live before? She said, oh, I grew up in Fulham. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Are yeah, you telling me people are moving here from Fulham? I know when I was growing up, Ain't nobody trying to live in Brixton. No yeah. one was trying to live in Brixton. Absolutely not. No one was trying to live in Peckham. Absolutely. Now the people I go to university and like the places that like, you know, I go with my family and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now they're all moving here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way in which they capitalise on like the cultural capital, you know, it's it's such a great jazzy place to live. It's so vibrant. There's so much culture. And like the people that have created like the cultural element, which is mm. like the carrot really is like the, I'd say in Brixton, like a Caribbean thing, a specifically a Caribbean thing, as far as I know. Mm. Um, Although the African influence is incredible, yeah, as well, but yeah, yeah sorry. but like you know, they can come here mm. and claim it and enjoy it. Mm. They don't, but they're not like really engaging with what it meant to struggle. To yeah. it's almost a sense in which it like totally negates the work that has been mm. done there mm. already to create that. Yeah. And I think what makes me even, even madder is that, like, it's become, like, a commodity. Yes. It's a total commodity. And it's so trendy now. And I, I feel the same way. It's the same people that, like, now, like, fucking love Beyonce. Yeah. They love Drake. But when I was growing up and I was about, like, 10, listening to, like, Destiny's Child, nobody thought it was cool. Yeah. And now all of a sudden... Grime as well. Yeah, you know what I mean? And now all of a sudden it's super trendy and the things that culturally rooted me and the places I know, like, you know, I'm not from Brixton, but I know that, like, in the sea of whiteness in which I live, Mm. if I should ever find myself in Brixton, I know that I won't feel the same dislocation or discomfort or, like, the feeling of being between two worlds. Even if I'm not a Caribbean, I know that, like... There's something culturally well, there's like people I can look like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I can people that look like me, people that have a kind of similar culture to mm. me. I can come here and I can root. I can feel that when I'm here, I don't have to be worried about being in like mm. these like spaces that totally deny that all the time. Yeah. And now the people that are in the spaces I have to be in come here and like efface that and erase mm. it, and I'm just like, what is that? what yeah. is left. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's like I don't know if we think that, that but like I think that's so much of my anger is like yeah yeah because I don't have to necessarily live like the actual hard economic facts because I'm not mm. here and I'm not from here but I think just a general trend that I've noticed the way in which like that is sort of erased yeah, yeah. it's hard though because at the same time I always with, with those impulses when I take it to a further extreme I'm just a bit like but then people like to have their self reinforced and we all do and I think you need to have it sometimes you, you need to have your Indian family there to just give mm. you recognition and mm. to make you feel whole and like similarly we have to have that with our blackness and with our Nigerian side but then there's also an element when I think about white people and I'm like they want that too you know mm. and they have it no I'm, they probably do have it but I'm just saying that when does the impulse become oppressive and when does it become liberating and I think mm. that like it's actually not as clear-cut in that everyone who wants to go to the busty building and see people that are like them it's because that's where you feel comfortable and that's where you feel whole and it's not it's it's not always a good or a bad thing it's just when it starts to become i guess exclusionary yeah it is
that um, kind of leads to my next question, which was about the current tone of politics mm. in the UK. And our podcast is about diaspora. Mm. And obviously that brings in the idea of migration and mm. moving somewhere. What do you think about the current rhetoric about migration? But also, I know you have views about how actually it's a lot more subtle than we... And that we're obviously then the headlines show, but that also the, there's a need that needs to be addressed yeah. with these headlines. It's not just racism. Yeah, that's very kind of you to ask. So, um, my, like, yeah, obviously the headlines are incredibly scary and they sound really fascistic and they sound like, and like people are writing all these kind of shirt-tearing think pieces in The Independent and The Guardian, like, ah, oh, we're drifting towards fascism again and oh my God, everything's going wrong and like... There may be elements of that that are true, and there may be elements of that that are just absolute nonsense. I think that they're actually missing the point, regardless. Like, those articles don't... They don't don't view people who are really pissed off and... People who say really horrible things about migrants, some of them might be fascists. A lot of them probably aren't. Like, calling them fascists is not constructive. Like, actually... We haven't, as a country, enge- and a polit- particularly as a political system, I don't think, engaged with like the way in which it all comes back to questions of identity, speaking of, which is very relevant to this podcast. I think so much of the migration issue, at least from people I talk to who are really pissed off about migration, is much, much more about like feeling like something that people thought belonged to them has been taken and maybe a lot of that comes from white entitlement I don't actually think it's all just about white entitlement I think actually a lot of it is about like they had an they had an idea of what Britain was and you know their place in Britain and their place in the world economically socially culturally and migration they see as a threat to that because in some in a lot of cases it is like it is a threat and I'm not saying it's a negative threat but they will perceive and channel these things as a threat like there are people like uh, community you know there are communities you visit which have collapsed economically and the only thing that has taken the place of that is a wave of Eastern European immigration which is obviously positive because they contribute more than they take out but to the people who live there all they can see is aha that's it that's why like they're taking my Britain from me they're coming like Britain doesn't look like... I like so I was in this place the other day that's like... Tradition, used to be this beautiful market town. And at least this is what the locals like told me. Oh, it used to be this beautiful market town and then the Polish came and this kind of thing. And while I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. Well, that's what you would have said about my mum when she came over. You would have been like, oh, the bloody Asians taking Britain from me. And that really scares me. At the same time, telling them that they're wrong is not going to make them feel better about migration. Being like, well... Actually, did you know that they contribute more than they put out? Nah, 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 nah. I'm really privileged and actually went to a really good university, so I've read enough to know that you're stupid. Nah, nah, nah. It's like, that's not going to solve anything. Like, But that's what we're doing right now. All we're doing is posting shit on our Facebook to each other, being like, hey, did you know people who care about migration are idiots? Ha, ha, ha. That's it. It's like, that's the end. Like, that's not a conversation because our communities are becoming increasingly ghettoized and which is the root cause of this thing i think like all of our communities be it kind of middle class lefties middle class tories lower class tories lower class lefties those four groups will never talk to each other even though they might have a lot of ideological things in common or different they will never talk to each other they will all live in certain places and they will live they will have friends who are like that and that's all they'll do and i don't know if it's just more so than ever but it feels to me like 
God, we know nothing about the lives of people who live in like Thurrock or or Lincolnshire or mm. whatever it is where UKIP is doing really well. We know nothing about those people or their lives. I never talk to anyone like that. Never. Mm. Like, and I'm not like I am ashamed to say it. I have no contact or connection to those people. My life is entirely ghettoized. Besides the kind of some of the social action stuff that I do, and even then, all the social action stuff I do is in London. It's all mm. in London. It's all like London. It's all like. London kids and London whatever and it's not like the kind of people who've been really hung out to dry by what Thatcherism or globalisation whatever it is who live in like you know Hastings or towns you know where where they've just been left out and just been like Mm. that's it you know I don't and I don't don't, like how to fix that is a really difficult question but it starts with like it starts with all of us trying to think about how can we more constructively talk to those people I don't know I don't know it's a really it's a really hard issue I just I just wish that like I, I wish we could find a way where we were all talking to each other rather than shouting loudly in different directions because that's what's happening now we're shouting loudly at each other and the people who are angry about migration are going like are hanging out with people who are pissed off about migration as well and so they're all going to talk to each other and be like yeah migration's a lot of shit isn't it like forget those Polish people they can get out like and all the middle class lefties are like yeah those people are stupid aren't they yeah stupid mm. you know and like you know I, I, I don't exactly know what the solution is but I know that it starts with us all being a bit more humble and particularly like if we are so clever as middle class lefties if we are so educated and well informed and all about town then why haven't we worked out that like they're like why haven't we worked out why people are so pissed off about migration mm-hmm. it's not just because they're racist like there are, and maybe sometimes maybe it is but there are more complicated if they are why are they like mm. they are taught that it's learned behaviour how do they unlearn that behaviour how do we like you know how do we engage with them in a way that's not patronising and not like which it is right now just so patronising and so kind of like stupid idiot like you know how do mm. we do that and the answers are not clear but we at least need to start thinking about that and we're not even doing that that's yeah. the thing I think we should do. But again, who knows? I'm some some guy who cares. But like, that's the like, that's that's like what I'm. That's like my big burden. That's my political burden. If I ever like go into like any kind of formal politics, I'm like, how do we talk? To, how do we get these people to talk to these people? And I don't know if it will ever change. But you got to like, I don't know. Got to work on it. Otherwise, God, yeah. Otherwise, they'll keep printing shit like that in the Daily Mail. Like. It's, oh, it's scary, it's scary, scary stuff, and like it comes from a real place of anger. And it's the kind of shit they used to say to mum when they threw bricks through the window of, their, of, my, of my grandparents' shop with packet in it. It's coming from the same place of anger, like, you know. Tell us about your band. So, um, we're like uh, a hardcore punk band based in South London. We have a female vocalist who's also half Algerian and she's dope on a rope. Um, and um, I have a lot of very kind of like, the, um, yeah, the band is really noisy and very horrible, so don't listen to us, um, I would say, unless you like that sort of thing. But yeah, the key thing about the band is um, uh, I, bu- I booked our kind of EP release show recently and I was like I want to do it just 
all with bands with female members and apart well we had three out of the four that were and everyone was like yeah that's really interesting like I don't know it was just a cool experience and a friend of, a friend of ours who's a promoter puts on this thing called Equal Fest in, in this pub in Camden which is only bands that have female members and it's like we're trying to kind of um, that, like the, us and a couple of other bands who have female members who play the similar sort of music to us we're kind of We've, you know, what we're trying to do is change these spaces, change the nature of these spaces purely through presence and being like, look, enough of this mas- hyper-masculine nonsense, like, this, this is not how you encourage a more equal scene, like, you encourage a more equal scene by giving women space for in which their contributions can be valued, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. Do you feel that it's like, because is it is it a creative outlet for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, <clears throat> particularly it being the music that it is, it's a very good. I like try to not do any like like live a life that's very like void void of aggression if I can with mixed success. But that's an area that where you can just be absolutely kind of completely unhinged. <laughs> Um, and it's not only like it's like it's admired rather than, <laughs> rather than, rather than vilified like um, but yeah and, but that's the thing like p- playing in the band is so pretentious man for, like, for just a stupid little UK band but like I do have this thing where like I feel like a bit like I'm in character when I play because it's so crazy and so heavy and so intense and like I'm just like staring out staring people out and stuff and like I don't know. That's it's, that's not who I am. Like I look at the like I watch live videos and I'm like, if people just saw that, they'd be like, who the hell is this guy? Like this is way too much. But that's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's an enormous. It's a way of channeling sadness and aggression and yeah. Overall, it comes just from a place yeah from a place of like sadness and depression and all these kind of really dark dark feelings and just channeling them. But in that area, it's like everything can kind of yeah hang out. And also, it's like it's like the kind of um, you know, the, like it's the complete antithesis of like British reservedness, and you know, and like an Indian reservedness, I guess as well. It's like you know, it's a space where you can just be crazy and just completely lose your mind, and like that's really fun. That always feels fun. Yeah, always feels good to do stuff like that. Like unless I tell people, people wouldn't know that I'm in this band and make this music and all this sort of stuff. Like people at work were really freaked out about it. And, like, <laughs> They were like, oh, what is this horrible, what are you doing? Like, what, is, what, what? And like, but that's because I like to be different things to different people. Coming back to the original point, which is that I like to pass in different environments. I don't like people, I wouldn't like people to know that, like, look at me and be like, oh, better you're in a band. Like, no, I'd rather keep that to myself. And like, it's the same thing, like, because then it belongs to me. I'm Tella. And I'm Yosola, and that was episode two of Diaspora Files, with music by the wonderful Post Louis. If you enjoyed the show, show us some love by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud at Diaspora Files. With a PH. For future episodes and more diasporic delights.